Today, I'd like to talk about cultivating art and discovering your own story. If we're Facebook friends, you probably know that I'm an artist as well as a writer. So in addition to writing memoirs and short stories, I do all sorts of art, painting, collages, art boxes of found objects. If you've ever seen the work of Joseph Cornell, you know what I mean. Ceramics, which are things made out of clay and fired at high temperatures. Uh, that includes pottery and sculpture. So today I'd like to talk about one facet of the work I'm doing, which is in ceramics. When I was in my early 20s, I started collecting interesting pieces of, of um, lace, sorry. And um, I found them in places like thrift stores, the Salvation Army and antique stores. In fact, old things always fascinated me. I could see their beauty very easily. And I attributed this to the fact that I grew up in an 86 room house that was built, let's see, let's start again that was built um, by a still baron in 1897. I knew from a young age that the kids at school didn't have 14 foot stained glass windows in their homes or foyers the size of kitchens or two ballrooms, a big one and a small one. I love the fact that the kids in my neighborhood thought that the house I lived in was haunted. And I love the fact that when I had a group of kids over and either wanted them to go home or just wanted to have some fun, I could say, listen, I think I hear the ghost. And they'd run screaming from the house. I lived in a similar house in college, but much smaller. It only had 15 rooms. One of my favorite projects in college was when my art and design teacher gave us an assignment about texture. She had us find textures around our house. We were to place a piece of paper over them and rub black crayon on them to make an impression of image and texture. She was amazed at what I found. Intricate designs from grates, radiator covers, lighting fixtures, door frames, even the walls. I lived in a house full of texture, both in my youth and my college days. My concentration in college was on sculpture, but after graduation, I didn't have access to the equipment I needed, so I put that part of my life on hold. About 20 years ago, when I started taking ceramics classes again, I thought of that exercise in texture, how much I love capturing those images on paper and how interesting it was to combine several of the textures into unique designs of their own. I had just moved and I came across many pieces of the lace that I'd held on to. I had the idea of impressing the lace into soft clay. 
as a way of capturing the image. The images of lace are so beautiful that I wanted to turn the clay into wall hangings or sculptures as a further way to preserve them. Two years ago, I started taking classes again at the Ann Arbor Potter's Guild so I could have access to good equipment. For example, you need a huge, heavy, expensive slab roller to roll out a sheet of clay that will be useful in this kind of project. Some people can do that with a rolling pin, but I've never been able to manage it. I'm just not strong enough. And besides, for what I wanted to do, I had to have good, totally even slabs that were thick enough to withstand temperatures of 2,500 degrees without cracking. Since I'm also a writer, my plan all along has been to incorporate words a poem, a phrase, a bit of written history into these wall hangings and sculptures. But I haven't done that yet because I'm still perfecting the images I'm using. And frankly, if you're going to incorporate words into a piece of clay, something that will be fired and permanent and can't be changed, they'd better be good. Nothing was coming to mind. From the very first time I started collecting lace, what was on my mind were things like the history of lace, along with the history of textiles, women's work, children's work in the pre-industrial revolution, the repetition of work, the repetition of making consumer goods, the very cost of lace in terms of physical labor and human suffering. To me, lace is a very feminine art, and that in itself is a statement. Lace takes a huge place in our history, similar to the tulip bulb craze that took place in Holland. There was also a lace craze in the 16th and 17th centuries. And if you visit Venice, close by is the island of Murano, where they make glass and Borano, where they make lace. So in a way, the lace craze is still happening. My plan has been to incorporate words that will make what I'm doing more obvious. After I more firmly de determine which lace pieces I'll use and in what formats, I plan to write a brochure about what I'm calling the Pottery and Lace series and we'll include it with each piece. And I have plans to use lace in projects that will be more sculptural. I have part of a wonderful Victorian dress that I would love to make into a sculpture. A lot of people who see my work get it right away. Somewhere along the line, They've read about or considered the issues of women's work, textiles, and repetitive labor. But I know that some people look at these ceramics and think, oh, she took a piece of lace, the same piece of lace, and is using it over and over and over again. That's just not creative. I know they're thinking this because they've told me so. And who knows, they might be right. Do I see this as fine, fine art? Probably not, but I sure am having fun doing it. 
and people's reactions have been wonderful. So there's a debate about art and craft. And it seems that the more that you can repeat or duplicate a project, the more that puts it into the category of craft. I'm not so sure that I believe that because repetition is an act of cultivation. The best teachers and best artists I know advise their students and remind each other to work in a series, meaning take the same image or images or themes and do them over and over again. Being intentionally repetitive is one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard regarding making art. Repetition is the seed planted into the ground. By constantly watering it season after season, project after project, you're helping it grow. Who knows where a series in art, like a train of thought, will go? But unless you do this, you'll never know. Everything else runs the risk of being a one-off, an image that lingers by itself, a lone wolf that doesn't travel anywhere. Most of the artists and writers I know have a favorite piece that they really wish they'd done more of. Artists and uh, writers in particular continually run across old work whether it be essays or short stories or poetry and think, why didn't I go with that? First of all, why didn't I finish it? It needed just a little more. And why didn't I continue with that theme? Because looking back on it, they realized what they did was good. To them and possibly others, it had worth. The ceramicist who manages the clay studio I work in now recently said to me something that I had observed. Well, she said, unfortunately, if you look at Etsy, everybody is doing lace impressed pottery now. And she's right. Granted, most of them are not using the process I use. They're using thick, heavy, beautiful gla glazes that pretty much wipe out the real intricacies of the lace. Whereas I fire twice at very low temperatures, what's called a bisque fire, and use only under glazes so that every thread really comes through. Actually, now there are potters in Ann Arbor who are using a similar process. Whoever said imitation is the sincerest form of flattery never tried to sell their artwork for profit. My mentor also asked me, so what are you going to do now that impressed lace pottery is getting popular? The only way to remain distinctive is to tell your own story. She has known that I have planned to add words and a bit of history and identify the kinds of lace right on the pieces. But she is correct. They need more. 
She said, you have to figure out exactly why you're doing this. What's behind it? Through this work, you need to tell your unique story. It made sense, but I had no idea what that unique story was. A couple of weeks ago, a former friend named Sally came into town and wanted to have lunch. She had a gift for me, curtains her mother had given her that were trimmed in Dutch lace. In fact, if I can get them, here they are. We're not, we're not seeing this, Kathy. Oh, you're not? No. Oh, goodness. Can you, can you do share screen from where you are? It's not working. All right. I can, I, I, I can, oh, yeah. sorry. but we're not seeing yours right now. Okay. Yeah, it's but um, that's okay. All right. So are you seeing yeah? All right. Are you seeing the lace? Now we are seeing everything. <laughs> yeah, we're we're seeing the oh, I'm sorry. It's no, just I can't, I can't get to the um there we go. Yeah. Well I'm guessing I'm gonna have to just do that. Um let's see. She's in the process of getting rid of things, traveling lighter into the next phase of her life. She asked me if I could use the lace in my ceramics in some ways. And I was thrilled and honored and said yes. And she was happy when I told her that the lace can be used over and over again and won't be destroyed. She assumed that using it once would make it Kaput. <laughs> Repetition. She wants to purchase what I make with this lace, but of course it will be a gift. Sally asked me how I came up with the idea of pottery and lace, and I told her what I've told you. And then I told her about how my mentor said that I need to find the story behind why I'm doing this. As we talked, something came to mind that I hadn't thought of for years, a family story. My family were French and lived in Belgium. The family lore was that my grandmother's sister was about to get married at the ripe old age of 17 and was making her own wedding gown. There was a dress shop in the town they lived in, Jumet, and it was having a contest for the best bridal dress. Well, of course, you know what happened. She entered her own wedding gown and won. Not only did she get the first place prize money, but a rich woman bought the gown for her daughter's wedding. The sister and her fiance had been saving their money. Now they had what they needed to go to America. Her father, my great grandfather, decided that even though she wasn't too young to get married, she was too young to go to America by herself. He went with the young couple to America and secured a job for himself. He was a glassblower. Soon he convinced most of his male relatives to go with him. He ended up managing plants in Independence, Kansas, Ford City, Pennsylvania, and the town of Jeanette 
aptly named for all the French and Belgian glassblowers who lived there. The family arrived here in 1904. He went back to Belgium three years later to get more family members. Whenever this story was told, I would get very sad thinking of the young girl who sold her very own wedding gown that she had worked so hard on for money. It didn't help that every time my grandmother told this story, she'd pause and end it with, we should have never left this country, come to this country. <laughs> we should have left this country. At lunch with Sally, I recalled the main feature of the wedding gown. It was practically all made of lace. When I told Sally this, she, a writer, said, well, there you have it. That's your story. If it weren't for Sally, I'm not sure that I would have ever put that story together. But it's the story that I need to tell through these pieces. The real reason why lace has been and remains so interesting to me. And what occurred to me as I thought about telling you my story is that each piece of art is a story in and of itself. Art arose because there were stories to tell from the cave artists to the makers of the most fascinating and enduring stories in the world. And of course, there are some stories we may perhaps never figure out. All you have to do is think of a Jackson Pollock. And so I now ask you to think about your favorite piece of art. What do you think is its story? And what is your story as you look at it?